Hello and welcome to episode four of Bike Karma. In this episode, we interview Kion Wolf, producer, announcer, and photographer for WNPR. You might have heard her on the Colin McEnroe show. She got her first adult bike at our swap meet that we run in Weathersfield, Connecticut in June. It's an annual swap meet. Check it out. Uh, but she talks to us about what it's like to take up biking as an adult. We also have a segment on winter bike projects, including my winter bike project, my Bianchi, that I picked up for 25 bucks and have been trying to imagine what it's going to be like when I get done with it. In the shop, on the road, doing paperwork, or making dinner. Take us along with you. It's almost as good as a ride. Here's our interview with Kion Wolf from Sarah's Coffee Shop in Hartford, Connecticut, Martin Luther King Day, 2016. Kion Wolf, announcer for NPR, and an adult first-time bike rider. That's right. So never when you were a kid. Well, I'll be clear. When I was a kid, my brother Paul taught me how to ride a bicycle on the front lawn. Because if I fell off the bike, then if I, I'm just falling on the lawn. So then it's not that painful physically. And I remember it was a blue bike. And I remember riding it down. I lived at the bottom of a hill. Mm-hmm. I'd ride down the hill and I would jump off the bike. Like a daredevil thing. Yeah. And it worked the first time. But the second time I hit this asphalt and my whole side of my face was scraped up. And then rollerblades came along and other things. So the bike just sort of fell away. So as a kid I rode a little bit, but totally forgot about it. First time I rode, my parents pushed me into a wood pile. So my first memories of finally getting the balance right, where you're actually pedaling, yeah. were followed by like wood in the face. I guess it wasn't that bad. I mean, I learned how to fall down like Chevy Chase when I was a kid, but <laughs> I, I was able to handle it. Maybe there's like the art of falling when yes. you're a kid in general, you know, like falling well or artistically, yeah. dramatically. Yeah, I never broke anything, knock on wood, as a kid, you know, maybe as an adult someday now that I'm <laughs> Fingers crossed. More. Yeah. So anyway, um, I want to thank you for coming for the interview, and I want to thank you for helping to promote our um, bike swap meet last year on Weathersfield. All the bike things happening around here. Mm-hmm. So just, why did you decide this year at our bike swap meet, you were like, I'm going to get a bike, I'm going to get back on a bike again. What happened? What Was it peer pressure? Were people talking on you to get, or did you see something? What was the thing that pushed you over the line to, as an adult, go back and revisit the bike? I think a lot of reason, I think the reason a lot of people don't ride a bike is fear. When I was, I've been living in Hartford for a couple of years, and I knew some people who rode bikes around the area, and I remember saying and thinking, you know, Hartford's so small, and it would be cool to ride a bike around here, but not with that traffic, not with those cars. And that was where my brain just stopped. It felt acceptable for me to be afraid of riding my bike around here. If I wasn't going to ride my bike around here, I wasn't going to ride it anywhere else either. And then I saw on Facebook that there was this group breakfast, lunch, dinner who had put together the Hartford Slow Roll. So twice a month, for about an hour or so, a pack of people traveling the Hartford roads. And that was really appealing to me because it was a slow roll, which is... No pressure. No pressure. And it was a pack of people, so I'd feel safe. And I thought, well, that's pretty awesome. Can I swear? 
Sure. Great. I can bleep it later. Yeah. <laughs> or not. It's pretty awesome. And um, so then I needed to get a bike, and I felt like, well, since I wasn't sure how much I was going to love this or how much money, I, I don't have a ton of money, so I also wasn't prepared to spend a couple hundred, if not over a thousand dollars on a bicycle. Uh, and then I saw on Facebook uh, this swap meet, and I thought, well, that's perfect. I'll be able to, and I brought some friends of mine who, one of them, one of whom I believe rode his bike cross country at some point in his life. So he knew he'd be able to guide me to get me just sort of a, at least something to get me started. I needed to make sure it was give or take about the right height and the price was right. Uh, when I got there, I saw a ton of options and we found the bike when uh, I spotted it from afar. It was a purple Shasta whatever that's worth. I, I found out later my bike is likely over 30 years old, which is good. I'm over 30 years old, so that was appropriate. Um, but when I saw it, I, I gave it a ride, and then as soon as I got on it and started pedaling, it was like, I felt like a kid again. I, I totally remembered what it felt like to be So sort it's of love at first bike. I'm just going to let that sit. Just sit and resonate. Yeah. Right. Um... And then that was it. Uh, there were some adjustments to be made. Uh, I, got, I got a new saddle and uh, a lock and some lights and bells. But for the most part, with the exception of the saddle, which is a, a very important investment <laughs> that I know of with the bike, um, it was just such an easy decision. And then I was totally hooked. Nice. So how much did you pay for it? And what 75? was the dealing like? Was the dealing fun? See, it's funny. Have you ever been to Brim, Brimfield? Yeah. All right. I've watched every episode of Pickers, too. Oh, so. oh okay, yeah. see, I, oh, I've been to Brimfield once, and I was uncomfortable with the prospect of negotiating. It just Uh-oh. wasn't a part of my life at all, and I, there's, I understand now there's a lot of different ways of negotiating. But when we went to Brimfield, I was told that they price things with the understanding that you're always going to talk, you know, talk it down. And the way that it worked at Brimfield was you'd see something, you'd say, how much for the street sign? They'd say ten dollars. You say I'll give you five, and they say yes or no. It's not really, it's not really cutthroat the way mm-hmm. I'd always pictured it. Yep. So um, when it came down to getting this bike, the guy said seventy-five, and then I sort of like hesitated a little bit. <laughs> he said I'll throw in a water bottle, and I was like sold. Nice. So you got your little. <laughs> I didn't even need the water bottle. freebie on the end. <laughs> no. It's good. It's all psychological. <laughs> yeah. But seventy-five bucks, I thought was a great deal. I cleaned out my trunk and shoved it in there and. And that was it. So do you love your bike now? I do love it. Um, I know, though, that it's, it's, it's my introductory bicycle because it's a little too tall for me. So, like, when I get to a stoplight, I have to sort of dismount it, and then the center bar gets right up in my crotch. Um, so I, I know that it's, it's going to be a really good sort of beater. So, okay, so you're calling it a beater already. Already. (laughs) This is is really telling. It's like a relationship. It's going to tell me how you feel about the bike. Do you have a name for the bike yet? No, it's been a long time since I've named an Advent Objects. That that goes along with my, my, as I get older, my superstitious nature has gone down to nil. Does it feel like your horse while you're riding it? It's funny you say that. When I first started riding it, I didn't even know how to work the gears. I do now, which is good. Um, but uh, at, at some points when I'm riding it, I'll pull on it. With my upper body, I'll pull on it and ride it almost like a horse. So I've thought of it like a horse before. I know it's inanimate. I know it is. I mean, it's it an is. inanimate thing. 
but you, the reason why people get so upset when their bikes get stolen, even if it's not their favorite bike, I had a bike of mine that wasn't my favorite bike stolen, but it's like they have personalities and you put so much emotion while you're on them that it almost like leaves the impression of being almost animate. It's like you, you look down at it all the time as you're pedaling for inspiration and you're like, all right, yes, you, you're taking me up this hill. And when it gets stolen, it's it feels like to people who aren't bikers, it's like it's not just your phone being stolen, it's not just a jacket being stolen, it's like your horse got stolen in the old days, and it's upsetting. You that know? makes a lot of sense. I can definitely see that. So, you though, you've already, you're already half moving on. You, <laughs> you called it your beater bike. You don't have a name for it. All right. And. Uh, <laughs> What are you looking for? What are you, what now that you've ridden for a year, right? Essentially, it's going to be a year soon. Um, what are you looking for that's different? What have you learned? Well, I want to have a bike that's more my size, so it's going to be a little shorter. Um, I'd like to have a lighter bike. This one is very very heavy. I like that it's heavy because then I'm, I'm, I like that I'm getting trained on this heavy, slightly awkwardly sized for me bicycle. That means that. When I do get a bicycle that's more my size and of maybe lighter materials, then I'll be like, what? This is a whole new world, and I'm going to freaking love it even more, which is hard to imagine because I already love it so much. Um, also, I, it has this, the straight handles across, mm -hmm. and there was one day where I rode 40 miles, and I was getting to the point where I was like, ah, I see why they use the curved ones. The dropped ones. Um, I can see the appeal of that, just to have Big a little more The secret on the dropped ones, mm -hmm. the best kept secret on them, is to get the super wide drop bars, and you get the best of both worlds. I've got so many kids that I deal with who are terrified of the drop bars. Huh. You know, like, I grew up with 10 speeds being the thing. Right. So when flat bars came out, it was like, that was cool then, and BMX bars. But um, the drop bars, if you get wide enough ones, it's like you have the flat bar there mm -hmm. because they're so wide. And then you've got the drops when you need them. And then when your hands start to get numb, you're like, oh my God, I can put it anywhere. I'm putting it up here and put it down there and totally. put it all over the place. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I've also thought about um, getting clipped in because when, when I'm really pushing it, I think I know, I know the, mu I can feel the muscles I'm using, mm -hmm. but, and I know the, the, the good work that's being done because of those muscles, and then I think, oh. So are you going spandex? Oh, I don't know. Slow down. Are Slow you going down. spandex? Listen, I, I, let's not rush things. <laughs> but it would be cool if I could really utilize all my energy instead of most of it. I feel like it would be cool to see how much faster and stronger I could be uh, with clips or, or some something. I mean, I know, I know they have straps, too, so that's an option. Um, I know a lot of people sort of flinch at the idea of clipping in because you'll you know you're inevitably gonna fall over you and always fall down that's all right it's okay that's it's, i can take it yeah. i was a goalie in soccer indoor and outdoor i don't mind getting a little banged up but so it's it's all the little adjustments all the little advancements i, I want to make and but i also i was talking to chris brown about mm -hmm. this about what i want and he's like okay so you'll have like one beater bike and you'll have one bike that really really suits you and has everything you want he goes you know what we call that I go, what? He goes, a good start. <laughs> so now I see, I see how this yeah. is going. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask me how many bikes I have in my house. God. Uh, I'm about 50. 50? About 50. And back before I used to <laughs> donate them and stuff, and it was just our family bikes, and before it was like a major hobby, I had like five, and my wife was like, there's too many bikes down there. We have five people in our family. It's too many bikes. 
And then now there's 50 down there. And she is, she is so patient with it because she's seen me like go through a couple hundred of them. So I've literally had like, maybe since I started this, like 300 bikes go through my hands. Um, yeah. But that's how the whole thing started. Is there one bike that has been like faith, you've been faithful to the whole time? Um, no, no, but yes, but no. Yes, in terms of like, um, like brand? Like eventually I found those bikes that I won't, that I'll be leaving to my children. Got it, got it. You know, and I'm, I'm part of the steel is real type of movement where it's like, you know, that bike that you got that's 30 years old, <laughs> if it's steel or chromoly or whatever, it. If, unless you totally wrap it around a tree, it's going to last for somebody 30 years from now. Yeah. Whereas aluminum bikes, eventually they snap. Mm. And they only can last, you know, about 10 years of hard riding before mm. they snap. And carbon, nobody knows what the longevity of them is. But I love the way steel bikes can essentially outlive us all as long as you take care of them. There's something, there's something reassuring about that. Go on without me. <laughs> Keep riding. Keep writing Dawes Galaxy oh. 1972. So I should not let go of my heavy, likely steel frame you bicycle. Can, you can let it go. And but you know, it's it's one of those things where if you just don't let it get to a path where it gets kicked to the curb permanently. Because okay. unless they're really damaged, you know, they get to go on and on and on and on. So, I don't know. There's something sweet about that. I don't, I don't know. I'll take that advice. Okay. As long as I have room for it. Yeah. Oh. I've got one bike that I really like, which is the one I rode across England. Mm. So that bike I'm not going to get rid of. And I put enough stickers on it where I don't think I could sell it. The, the first sticker I put on my bike was from a marching band, the Hartford Hot Several. Nice. It was like, I took a picture of it. You know, it's the inaugural sticker. It means something. It's, yeah. it's a commitment. Yes. It's still on there a little bit, but after it's gotten rained on and peeled off. But. You could put a little nail polish on it and it'll keep it going. Good That's advice. Some of my, yeah. good. You're full of good advice, man. <sighs> and bikes. <laughs> and full of bikes. Full of bikes. <laughs> What is still mysterious to you about biking? Like, you did figure out the gears. Yeah. I mean, I have kids and adults who just don't use them. They find a one sweet gear, and then they leave it there, and they're terrified. They turn it into a fixie, sort of? They turn it into a fixie by fear, and they just leave that little clicker Again. alone. Fear. And that's it. Fear is so powerful. Um, what's mysterious? You know what's mysterious is I... I I barely know how this machine works. Um, I wanted uh, to be able to ride my bike from Hartford to the Coventry Farmer's Market. Uh, I never, there was, it ended up schedule-wise not working out, but one thing I was thinking was if I did that alone, I've got to be able to address, I mean, this is not a cross-country ride or anything, but it's long enough, so I'd, I'd really have to, I'd be comfortable only if I could address, say, major malfunctions. And so, like, BC Co. is starting this great training program where you can not only learn maintenance, but you can learn how to build a bike. That's nice for me. I want to be able, I'd love to be able to build that bike that I want, um, so that would make it even more meaningful and close to me. 
but more more than just an emotional attachment, I really want to be able to confidently even just change a tire. You know, if the, if the chain comes loose, know how, why it came loose and how to get it back on. So the the mechanics of this relatively simple machine are still kind of are still elusive to me. So that's something that is really important for me to learn over this season of rest. <laughs> I'd love to be able to at least have much a much bigger command of the of the machinery by the time I get back on the road regularly. I started myself, I think it was 2007, I think, and I had been kind of maligned by a bike shop a little bit, and they had a problem with a fork, and they wouldn't answer my question logically and stuff like that, and I was kind of like Scarlett O'Hara. I was like, never again will I let right. this bike... So I bought one bike tool, and then I bought another bike tool, and then I started learning this and started learning that. And it's actually, as an adult, it's one of the things that I've learned the most. It gives me hope about battling dementia, because mm -hmm. I've actually learned something past 40 that was like huge and I feel myself like I teach kids all day who are learning stuff for the first time and I see those little aha moments and I get to make those moments for myself too where I'm like oh that's why that's this way or there's two different springs on either side they're not the same spring ah that's, so you're still learning so stuff I yourself. get epiphanies all the time while huh. I'm like learning about it but it's so you're gonna find like once you start to fix a tire, it's like, it starts to come. And it's just like, the more confident you are about the first thing that you learn to do, like fixing a tire, you will all of a sudden just be like, I'll figure it out. And you don't even need to know. You'll just come up with these MacGyver-like things on the fly. And you'll be looking on the side of the trail being like, I can, I can turn that little twig over there into a pedal for the next four miles to get me back to the car. Yeah, right? So, That's cool. um, yeah, it's just once you get past that initial, that critical mass, and all of a sudden it's like, you'll take off and your confidence will be like, I can fix anything with a tie wrap and glitter. <laughs> the glitter, <laughs> and I, I really like to see that. That'd be great. Yeah, it can be done. Duct tape. Duct tape that is too? often helpful. That too. Um, anyway, okay, cool. Um, so, one of the things I like to ask every one of my interviewees is what is the weirdest thing you've seen on the side of the road? For me, it was a clown nose, a whiskey bottle, and a billiard ball. All, all together. together. And I spent several miles coming up with the story behind that. It was like a Mad Lib book. The first, there are two things I thought of. They're not, they're not weird. Well, I, I've seen a few condoms. Um, and when they're at the side of the road, it makes me wonder, you know, how, how does a condom get to the side of her? I understand how it gets to a landfill or, you know, like outside a bathroom, I guess. But on, like, the side of a road, it just... It, do you throw it out your window? I, get, I know, I don't know. It's, it's, I've got a good imagination, and nothing's impossible, obviously, but a few condoms. Um, although, I, one thing that... The other thing I thought of was I was riding my bike around the West Hartford Reservoir, which, when I used to... When I tried running, which, trying to start running uh, in your 30s, having never, ever run before, is not easy. It's very hard on the body, mm -hmm. and it didn't last long with me. There were times where I liked it, but overall it was agony. Um, my body just fell apart. But um, <laughs> I used to run the, the reservoir, and then I started riding my bicycle, which of course is a totally different animal. It's so much fun and so beautiful. But I was riding up this one hill at the reservoir, and to my right was this great, big, beautiful deer. 
no, just standing standing there looking at me and I and I slowed my bike down and just sort of made eye contact and I thought oh, it's so amazing you know I this is so beautiful and and you know it's not it's not it's not a unicorn but to be close to a deer and you know in, in this beautiful setting was really beautiful was, was really touching and it you know it stuck in my memory to the point where I'm talking about it in an interview um, and then at one point later in that same trip, this bird was flying alongside me. Oh, God. Has that ever happened to you? I, so I've had the nice events with birds. Oh, oh, there can be bad events. I've had um, the nice one where they're flying alongside you, Disney style, yeah, singing that's the in one. your ear that's and stuff one. like that. That's nice. The other one is where they try and cross the road right in front of you. Oh. And then the other one is where they smack you in the face as if flying <laughs> Here. I got hit in the face with a bird. You got like a got bitch slapped the, by a bird. I got bitch slapped by a bird. That's so cruel. And here you are just minding your own business. I was just riding my bike and it's, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I know the magical animal moments are good. <laughs> it's so Disney. And I remember thinking like, whatever I tell the story, you're just going to have to take my word for it that it happened. I wasn't going to go take a picture of it or a video or anything. But I've it, had rabbits. Yeah. Alongside. That's, that one's pretty cool too. So because cute. you feel like a herd. <laughs> Sort of a Pied Piper. You know what's less cool? The people with dogs. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Because a lot of times, you know, they don't have them on lead, and that creates some problems. I like dogs. I like I love cats. I like dogs. and um, But sometimes they have a leash that's huge, and you're riding your bike in a straight line, and the dog is, like, darting in all these vectors and sometimes crossing you and the leash is like right in front of you and there's like 30 feet between the dog and the owner and this leash that's going to close, close on, on you and you. the dog's trying to kill me exactly so I have to take some offense to that yeah no that's reasonable completely reasonable have you had any experience with animals like that no so not so far I mean there have been especially at the reservoir because people walk their dogs there so much um it's tricky so the reservoir has a line where bicycles are but as a as a runner I did this too there's something appealing to the idea of being in line right mm -hmm. so even though you see that this is the bike lane you're as you're walking or running and you're not even thinking about it I'm I would end up in the bike lane and so now as a cyclist I can see them in front of me they've just mentally shifted themselves into the bike lane because it feels comfortable lines are nice you know borders and so I'll ring my bell. Um, there wasn't any major catastrophe, but there was one time where I went to the reservoir and there was this um, high school track, big track meet. And they asked me to just hang, hang low while they fired the gun and let them run. Um, but they assured me, you know, the kids know that they're cyclists. So you know, let them start. So we waited a couple minutes and I start riding my bike and I catch up to the group. And for the most part, they're not in the bike lane. But Further down, I see every, the entire pack of maybe 30 kids are all running in the bike lane, or over in the bike lane. And so I'm ringing my bell and I'm saying, on your right, on your right, on your right, like being as loud as I can to make sure they have plenty of time to get out of my way. But, you know, when you're running, sometimes you get in your own zone. And as a pack, pack mentality, they're all staying there and they're not moving. The closer I get, the louder I get. And finally, this one kid, I was so close to clipping him that I was... It was that heart in your throat, sort of, I'm going to crash, and I might hurt somebody else, but he's in the bike lane, and oh my god, it happened so fast. So thankfully, I 
I was able to stop my bike just in time to not collide with this kid, and, and he realized right then what had happened, and he got out of my way, and he... Then he con- gets out of your way. <laughs> then he gets out of my way. Then he gets out of your way. Okay. But what was cool about that was he, he said, he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. Are you okay? He said, yeah. I'm really sorry. And it was, he didn't, he could have just been like, oh, sh-, you know, like he yeah, could have yeah. just been like, my bad, and that was it. But he, he asked me if I was okay. That was his response to it, and that made me feel much better about the situation. But I've I've, I've been lucky so far that I've had no catastrophes, but a few close calls for sure. Yeah, no, that's there's a lot of good people out there, and it reinforces that while you're out on the bike, you get yelled at sometimes. Like in the first episode, I talked all about people yelling at you, but sometimes there's just people you stop to stretch, and they pull down going 40 miles an hour they come to a full stop they roll down the window and they go are you okay you go yeah i'm just stretching thanks and they're like okay cool that's awesome <laughs> and it happens a lot and so it's like first it's like man what can i do do i put on a sign that says i'm okay or what and then i'm like it's okay it's it's all right because it's it's a nice thing that people are stopping to see if you're all right and if you're out there you know and still at this point, I think bike people are freaky enough in this area where we're kind of an anomaly, but we're at a growing anomaly. And that's why I'm kind of glad that we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of things happening. We've got the swap meet again that we haven't had since, like, the early 2000s. And then we've got the BC Co. And then we've got lots more bike lanes happening. And finally getting up there where things might catch fire. Progress. And then, uh, you know, people are going to see bicycles a lot more. And then we'll stop being the anomaly and they'll, they'll go past us and they'll have those good thoughts again, but they'll just be like, oh, it's another cyclist stretching. Or that's, exactly. you know, it's not some a person on the side of the road. <laughs> that never good happens God. in New England. <laughs> never seen someone's back in the wild. <laughs> it's always against the seat. <laughs> Do you have any goals that really, like, you saw it and you're like, that I'm going to work for? Well, I want to make the trip from Hartford to the Coventry Farmer's Market because that was the first goal I ever had. That's totally reasonable. You're going to do it. Oh, my God. Easy breezy. It would would be cool to do a century, right? Yep. Because only because I see uh, on Reddit, on all the bike forums. Are you on Reddit? Oh, sweet Reddit. Sweet, sweet Reddit. Uh, so on Reddit, I'm, I'm getting the little lingos about uh, things like the century rides. Because, I mean... I did my first true one this year. Yeah? Yeah. It was... A true one is when you get it done in a day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've done like 80, I've done like probably 90-something, but we didn't know where we were. We were following little yellow sheets. We had no GPS at the time. But um, I actually... T- took my time and just did one by myself this summer just to see what it felt like and it, it's pretty cool yeah I bet because most... it's not the end of the world it's like you think it's going to be like a marathon the first marathon I did I was knocked out for three months afterwards I was in awesome shape before you're talking is this running a marathon or? yeah running a marathon and then after the marathon I was like three months recovery Incredible. doing a century ride I was I was great the next day. I wanted to go for another totally. ride. The yeah. day that I did forty, it was it was most it was between here and Windsor. I went to Windsor and back, and then back to Windsor, and just a lot around the city. So I was off and on the bike during that forty mile day, uh, but that's my record for sure. Um, so it'd be cool to do the century, and um, I also would love to explore some of the rails to trails, mainly because it appeals to the idea of like, oh, this is going to be 
I can just zone out a little more than that sort of constant state of alertness that you really need to have when you're bicycling down streets with cars and other people. Um, when, for the, uh, a couple months ago, I went up to Maine for a wedding. No, I went to Cape Cod, sorry, Cape Cod for a wedding. And there was some really great uh, direct bike only, bike and walker only trails mm-hmm. that we were able to, do, to go for, you know, I think 30 miles. And that felt great. So I'd, I'd love to up my mileage for sure. Um, but I also have to make sure that I've got the bike that'll make that. I don't want. I don't want to say enjoyable because it's not about. I want to just feel good the whole time. That's not why I'm in it at all. I love the fact that I can feel really spent and then recover mm-hmm. on that same machine. It's just yep. so beautiful to me. But I just want to have the right bike to do that and really see no, how I feel. Confidence in it. Yeah, and it's in myself. To you. Yeah. yeah, my steed. And that's that's where. I, that's how they get you, as my grandma used to say. That's, that's how, that's how the you. bike manufacturers. She was, <laughs> she was losing it. She had five expressions that she'd say, and and it fit all the conversations that we had in our family for like a year. But when it was, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. And they they basically they know that you're you're riding something either a hero of yours road or something where the name speaks to it or the color scheme fits to it or something. It's like you're gonna make that bike your own because when you're out on the road by yourself and you look down it's like you're going to be inside your head but you're also going to be asking that bike to like motivate you it's like all right what do we got yeah attitude totally yeah my bike's got a little attitude i'm gonna have a little attitude it's gonna get me up this hill it's funny you mentioned that um my uh dad married into this great italian family and his father-in-law is this great guy i call him papa uh, he died in May, like 91 years old, surrounded by his family. I mean, if you're going to go, just... And he had such a great life, an amazing life. And he spent the majority of his adult life riding a bike. He would ride his bike to New York and to the shore of Connecticut from Plainville on a regular basis. Nice. Um, so this this man's life revolved, revolved around the bicycle. And I'm, I don't know anything about anything, but I would put money on the fact that if he hadn't had such an intimate an intense relationship with a bicycle for the majority of his life, he wouldn't have made it to 91 to have this amazing uh, death. So I was thinking when I build the bike, his last name was Casanari, mm-hmm. which sure sounds like a bike name to me. It does. The Casanari line. No, it does. So when I, when I build this bike, I'd love to um, to name it the Casanari and get, you know, stickers or get like a nice yeah, font you just, and design yeah. it or get on there. Yeah, so I'll look down. Yeah, I'll look down and I'll see Papa. See his last name and be like, man, if he could do it, I'm doing it in his honor. And I have a lot of. uh, You put it right here. You put it right there. So you look down at him. Right in the middle. Some people have pedal, damn it. But yours (laughs) sounds nicer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I'm a fan of profanity too. for the interview I really appreciate it I appreciate you helping us with the bike show last year and, and giving me your time you're so welcome thank, thank you very much you're welcome thanks for inviting me it's a big honor cool thank you
So in the summer, you feel like you're going to have all kinds of time in the winter. And then when the winter comes, you can't wait until the summer happens because you feel kind of cramped up inside. That's the way it is with bikes. Hopefully during the winter, you get to do some work on your bikes. You get to get a few rides in if the weather breaks and you get to take care of some of those projects that you've had in the back of your mind. Now, these are bikes that maybe you found at a yard sale for not much money or maybe somebody gave to you or discarded or you got them for a swap meet. And then when you saw them, you had a creative vision that you could bring that bike back to life. And then when the time finally comes, you'd rather go for a ride. So you get out on your bike, you go for a ride, and then it's next time and next time and next time. And finally, the winter comes, and that's where we are now. We're in the winter show. So this is the February episode. We're in the winter, and we're looking at winter projects and how they get done and get paused. So my winter project was a Bianchi Nyala which is a mountain bike, which, you know, the Bianchi name is a very famous, I think they're the oldest racing bike company, very Italian, but it's made in Taiwan. If you look for the labels and it says it's a Taiwanese mountain bike and they're pretty cool looking because they have those logos, the Bianchi logos, but yet they're, they're a mountain bike and they're back from the nineties, I would think, maybe the late eighties. They have a lot of potential as they sit uh, the two that I have, uh, one is a Timberwolf and the other is a Nyala. They have just been sitting around and fallen into disuse. You know, basically one thing will stop working, then another thing stops working. Still able to punch up the tires so they're able to keep it going a little bit. And then all of a sudden one day, it's just, they look at it and no, and it just stays on the side of the garage. Or maybe it gets moved outside the garage behind the shed. And then hopefully... I get it before too long, before it's been exposed to the, the elements too much. So I've got these bikes that could potentially be awesome because Bianchi's are some of the nicest looking bikes in the world to me. So I have these two mountain bikes and I'm going to turn them into gravel grinders. What a gravel grinder is, is it's a drop bar bike that's ready to go on dirt roads. And it can go on roads, it can go on dirt roads, it might even do a little bit of light trail work, but that's what a gravel grinder is. And these are going to be 26 inch wheels on them, and they're going to be pretty cool. I think they could put some nice wide bars on them and give people uh, hand positions, it'll be a nice riding bike. So I start to take it apart, and I'm like thinking that I'm going to take this thing and it's going to be like my art. It's going to be an art thing. Now you're saying you're a bike mechanic, why are you doing art? Well, it, that's part of it. That's part of the, the fun of it is actually taking something and rebuilding it in a better way. So you're like imagining this, uh, you know, like when I was in grad school, they said, try and find the statue within the rock. And that's great, um, but doesn't apply directly to a bike, but it, a little bit. So as you start to take off the old stuff, so you get the bike up on the stand, and there's a lot of rust here and there. There's broken components. There's cables that aren't working. There's brakes that need to be upgraded. You take off one piece at a time and you're like, okay, well, great. 
the crank's not stripped. Okay, and the bottom bracket's still spinning. It's kind of tight because the bearings are all rusted out of their races, but uh, you take it apart and it's all still good. And you can put some new bearings in there and repack it. It's gonna be fine. And you take apart this piece and you take apart that piece and you take apart the headset and you look to make sure that nothing's damaged and so far it's good and the fork's not bent. And then you go to take off the dreaded seat post. The seat post is like one of the worst parts because oftentimes once a seat post gets stuck, they are almost impossible to get out easily if you can't get them out at all. And there should be a whole other segment on just getting out the seat post. But I get to the seat post and I go to move it and it moves. And thank God somebody put a, just a penny's worth of grease on your seat post will help to keep it from seizing. And so I take the seat post out and I'm taking everything off. And I almost got the frame down to where I could really just have the frame, a naked frame, and just clean it. Clean up a little bit of the superficial rust that's on the outside and seal it up and and get the whole frame just to be a really clean sharp looking frame i go to take off the canty brakes on the back canty brakes will be great for a dirt drop bike and i go to take off the first side the right side and it's all good I should say the drive side for all the mechanics listening. I take up the drive side first. And the drive side's fine. It comes off. The boss looks fine. It cleans right up. I wash it. I wipe it off with a rag and it's fine. And then I go to take off the non-drive side on the back. And the boss comes off of my hand. And I am crushed. I am devastated. It's like it's like making a statue, and then all of a sudden you're like going ding 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 ding. And then the nose of the statue comes off and you, you, you the whole rest of the statue is awesome, but it's not got a nose. Dog's really upset about that. So now I got a bike that I'm gonna have to change things. Now you could glue a nose back onto a statue and you could certainly weld a new brake boss back onto the, the frame, but it would far than exceed the price of the bike. And part of feeling good about doing this type of stuff is taking a very inexpensive item, using spare parts that you find, recycling, and basically putting together a bike that would be new, close to $1,000, and doing it for under a couple hundred and having it be of comparable quality. So that's one of the, the big tingly feelings that you get is fixing a bike and restoring it and reimagining it. But then this brake thing. So it's not all over. I, I do have a couple of options. One is I could totally go and have this part welded on. They would have to take the paint off of that side. There would be a naked area. I'd have to use touch-up paint on it. It'd look horrible afterwards unless I got the whole thing painted. Then you're talking two, three hundred dollars to, to do, redo the whole thing that way, which far exceeds, you know, what I'm going to be asking for the bike later. Um, so what do I do? So the other option is I could just scrap the frame. Just say at that point, the frame is scrapped and uh, move them onto another bike and just kind of shed a tear and then move on. And the what I'm thinking I need to do is just put a side pull caliber brake on the back. 
you know, why does this offend me so much? Well, it's because you had a vision for what you wanted to do, and now you got to hang a different thing on the back, and you're going to have a different break on the back than you would on the front. And so you kind of take the face, and you can kind of carve a little teeny nose onto it, and it's going to look weird. But does it still work in terms of breaking? Yes, it does. So it would be safe. It would be fine. And there would be two ugly boss screws still sticking out the back because I could still slide the, the metal part of the boss over and, and put it back on. But it's just, it's not going to look perfect. So this totally sucked the wind out of my sails. I felt alone at sea. The artistic part of the good feelings just totally got sucked out and I was personally disappointed with how it affected me so I let this bug me so much that I literally just didn't I just left I, I went upstairs out of the basement which is where my shop is and I just I just left it I wasn't getting good feelings from it and then I got worse feelings it was like feedback that I would be I was feeling bad about letting this thing get to me because I had gotten to that point and that little ding, and then you're like, ah, oh, now it's ruined. So I finally got to a point where I could fix the most important thing about my winter bike project which was my attitude about it. So the way I got over it was I finally realized it came to me at one point that perfection is just totally unsustainable. And this illusion that you have of perfection is the thing that gets in the way of actually realizing something real. And I think that this happens with artists a lot. And they say, just push through it. Just create the work. Create the work. Don't worry about it being perfect. Just as a writer, trying to write, you know, just throw the words down. Don't worry about your spelling. Don't worry about the grammar. Just get the words down. Just plow through it and you'll create something. And that's what happens here. Now, in a normal mechanic in a bike shop, are they going to feel that feeling? No, they're taking a bike out of a box or they're taking a bike that somebody brings in and they're going to, there's a very clear direction for it. Well, when you take a bike and you're trying to reimagine it, that's when you're more in the school of the artist and you can get stuck just like an artist gets stuck. And so don't let a chip in the paint or a rip in the seat spoil your day is the most natural and normal thing in the world. Hear about the people who make the rugs, the incredible rugs from the Middle East, and they put errors in them because nobody is perfect, save Allah. That means that, you know, there is nobody perfect but God is one of their philosophies. So you put in a mistake into the rug on purpose to remind yourself of that, to be humble. So the next time you look at your bike and it's not exactly perfect, or you look at a project that you're doing and it's not exactly perfect, it is perfect and that it's not perfect because there is no such thing as totally perfect. That's it for this time. A big thank you to Kion Wolf from WNPR. Thanks to Keller Glass and Mobjack for our theme music. Check them out at mobjackmusic.com. Thank you for listening. Please like and share and comment at Bike Karma on Facebook, Instagram, Podbeam, and iTunes. 
Bike Karma and Bicycle Karma are trademarks and part of a project by Tom Brown. All rights reserved. Join us next time for an interview with the guys from Beardman Bicycles. Till then, keep it wheel.